0: I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. My guest today is David Reed, founder and CEO of Ease. David has 30 years of experience working in the employee benefits and group insurance industry. After working as a wholesale distributor of group-based benefit products for two major insurance companies, he became a consultant and agent for Unison Benefits Management prior to them being acquired by Gallagher Benefits Services. Earlier in his career, he co-founded Apprise Technology Solutions, which is a current industry leader in benefits enrollment technology. He ventured to Silicon Valley to found Ease, established his corporate headquarters in San Francisco, and Ease has a customer success center in Las Vegas. David Reed, welcome into the corner office.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much for having me.
0: It's great to have you here. And, you know, we spoke a couple of weeks ago and, uh, you know, as I interview people for a living, it's always hard for me not to go deeper when we have those planning calls. But today is our opportunity to learn more about you. And David, we always like to kind of start in the early years, particularly with our entrepreneurial guests that have kind of built up companies over the years. Tell us a little bit about where you grew up and what your early family life was like
1: it's it, It's funny as i, I i'm I'm fifty six years old now. I just had a birthday. And I think back to my childhood and it, and I see pictures from when I was a kid. And it seems like it was um kind of like back into the olden days, not quite as far back as mayberry, but it 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 was quite different. So, um, I grew up in a small town called South St. Paul, which is um okay. actually, I think even to this day, and, and back then it was, it's one of the lowest income um, communities in the Twin Cities metropolitan area.
0: As I say, we're talking Twin Cities, I presume. Yes,
1: right. Twin right. Cities, right. Minneapolis, St. Paul. And um, it's actually not the south side of St. Paul either. Why they called mm. it South St. Paul, I don't know, but it was a, <laughs> it, it was a stockyard town. And so most of oh, my friend's parents was wow. very blue collar. Most of my friend's parents, uh, my friend's parents uh, worked in the slaughterhouses or in the stockyards, oh, Swift sure. and Armour yeah, were big then. You know. And my dad was a doctor. And, um, okay. most of my friends were delivered by my dad and uh, I, I happened to be the youngest of five kids. And, and wow. unfortunately my dad died when I was, uh, nine years old. Oh, and sorry. so, um, it, it was a, it, it, it obviously a, it, it's a life changing thing because I ended up, um, kind of growing up on my own a bit.
0: Did mom remarry or, or she had to work of course. So I'm sure she was probably out of the house a lot as you were growing up. Is that, is that true?
1: Well, this, this is a little bit different in, in the sense. So my mom. If you're familiar with an organization as the VFW, the Veterans of Foreign oh, sure. Wars, there's uh-huh. the lady, ladies' auxiliary to the VFW. My dad died in the year that she was the national president of that organization oh, in 74. Wow. So she presented people like um, Gerald Ford when he made his first public speech. Oh. And, and so as a child around that organization and my mom's role in it, I was in the limelight and well taken care of. I, I, I look at my childhood as a lot of as I was kind of a, a big fish in a small pond. I didn't know any better. You know, today I, I when I go back to my hometown and 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 you see the old neighborhood and the homes and and, and what the world's changed. Like I didn't know any different, and that's right, a great right. thing. than back then, yeah. um, I thought I was you know the big cheese and and that we were in this <laughs> major part of the country and 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 um, and and that was all good. So you know, my, yeah. the, 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 I, I enjoyed it very much, and I wish. Um, you know, like my kids and the way they grew up is so entirely different as it is these days. Yeah, yeah. I can't even, uh, as my grandparent now, so I look at my children raising these young kids and I think about all of the challenges you got to deal with now with technology right. and access to the internet yeah. and things that we didn't have to deal with. Back when I was young, when I was 16, it was still back in the day where you would drive to the payphone and call and tell the girl's <laughs> parents that you're going to call back in 30 minutes and not to leave, you know? Right.
0: Right. That's great. I love it. So the youngest of five, were your older brothers and sisters involved
1: in uh, raising you as well? To some degree. my the, the oldest in our family is my sister. And she actually went away early when we're 16 years apart. So when I was two, oh, wow. she went away to the convent and she, okay. yeah. she, she was a nun for a while. She didn't take her permanent vows. Uh, my oldest brother spent a lot of time with me. He took on the, uh, you know, kind of the big brother-father role. Um, mm-hmm. And then I had two other brothers, one of which died of a heart attack when he was mm-hmm. um, 35. He was teaching an aerobics class and collapsed. And then the brother that's closest in age to me, uh, when he was 35, he had a, a major stroke and he's disabled. So I'm his uh, trustee at, mm-hmm. at this point. So Gosh. kind of a what I, I get a physical every uh, three months. I get blood work up because my family history is so bad. Um, but it's one of those things where it's like knock on yeah. wood. It's, right. I think I'm the lucky one.
0: Who were some of the early inspirations in your life? People you looked up to or perhaps, you know, gave an encouraging word because, you know, you went through some tough times.
1: Yeah, I I actually on LinkedIn a while back, I reached out to my old high school uh, debate coach. I was oh. real active in high school debate, um, yeah. it, probably the most influential person in my life. I was one of those people who um, things kind of came easy to me. Uh, but I required some management, if you know what I mean, and uh, <laughs> adult supervision perhaps is what we'd call it today. Exactly, and 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 he was tough on me. He was. He yeah. he pushed me. He pushed me hard, and I was very successful as a result of him pushing me. And I learned a lot uh, from that experience. Uh, it, it, and I, like I say, I attribute him to having probably, I shouldn't say probably. He had the single greatest impact on uh, my trajectory at that point. You know,
0: it's so funny you mentioned that I got in debate in college and of all the classes I took, Larry Williamson, the guy who was our debate teacher, um, I remember him well. And, you know, he was the same sort of personality. In fact, I reached out to him recently on LinkedIn. He's now at USD. This was at San Diego State. And, you know, I remember him telling me, Brent, you can grow up to be anybody you want to be. And in fact, you could be president someday, I think was one of the things he said. Well, maybe president of my own company. But you know, it's amazing how when those people touch you, particularly at those just opportune times, what kind of a difference it can make.
1: Yeah, very much so. Were you a good student in school? I was when I wanted to be. um...
0: (laughs) On those things you enjoyed, right?
1: Well, you know, I I skipped ninth grade. So I went from eighth grade to 10th grade. By the time I was through eighth grade, where I grew up, it was a kind of a unique break. It was uh, seventh, eighth, and ninth in one building. Tenth, eleventh, and twelfth, and the others, so they didn't have ninth, you know, freshmen through seniors together. Now, this is still in, in South St. Paul, right? So you did all your high school, yeah. And then I had, um, I, 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 basically, I, I don't know how I did this in hindsight, but I got pretty much through all the ninth grade curriculum by the time I was done with a uh, um, pretty much seventh grade. So when I was in eighth grade, I was walking over to the high school and, and taking high school classes, and so they just ended up double promoting me, and and uh, cool. and, and and it was it was it was. Cool in one hand, but it, it also impacted me in that when you're in a town like where I grew up, being the smartest kid in class wasn't necessarily the coolest thing. Um, and it stigmatized me. And it's, I remember my first day in 10th grade, my very first class in the morning, and I was scared because I was... Well, you didn't know anyone. Didn't right. know anybody. Plus, I was yeah. kind of a standout. I was the kid who skipped a grade, who came up, you know, whatever. The brain and things, and and the guys, he's taking a, a tent, you know, a tent that's going through and calling the names. I, I don't know if they do that anymore, but they did back then. And uh, when he gets to my great name, he goes, "Oh, oh, Mister Reed, would you like to come up and teach the class?" You oh, know, and, goodness. And, and I was, oh. and I, and, and it was. Um, and it was just, uh, it, it was tough, yeah. And so I became a little bit rogue then. And, and and in 10th grade, I had my 10th grade counselor threatening to send me back to 9th grade if I didn't straighten out my act. But, you know, again, I, I was active in debate. And debate is what kept my, that and band. And those two activities kept me really busy. And I really enjoyed them.
0: In sports, music, other than the band and theater, anything else you were involved with outside of class?
1: No, I, 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 I wish... I wish I was more of a sports fan because I look mm-hmm. around and see how much fun people have. I see my neighbors on football days, their families coming over, they're putting their jerseys on right. and they're doing all those things. Right. And I've, I've never really um, been a, a, a big sports enthusiast. And the times I have, it's been more around um, college or high school teams where I have mm-hmm. an association with the community. Yeah,
0: that's a lot more fun anyway. I, I must admit. What about entrepreneurial things? Obviously, you are an entrepreneur. You've, you found that later in life. We'll talk about ease in a moment. But when you were younger, did you have the ubiquitous paper route? Did you sell Christmas cards? Any things for pocket money as you were growing up?
1: 100%.
0: <laughs>
1: All of the above? Oh, yeah. I, um, I, I My name's David Andrew Reed. My first company I started was called Dar International. I love it. How old are you? Uh, 16 years old. Oh my gosh. That's great. And what I did it was, it was, I, 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 and this is pre-computer days. So I had mailers. I went through the yellow pages and I programmed into my Xerox, uh, typewriter, uh, letters. And then I would wow. go through the yellow pages, type the address, hit the print button. It would print the whole letter. And then I would take it out and I'd stick the next one in and I'd put the address in from the yellow pages, hit print, it would reprint the letter. It sounds crazy. You'd have to do these things back then. That's, and that's uh,
0: automation at its best back in those days. My goodness. Yeah. What were you doing? What were you selling? What, what, what was the, uh...
1: I was selling novelty items and and I had okay. two of them. And, and it's one of them was called a product that everybody sees all the time now like huggers or can wraps and and this okay. is back and again it dates me as when Velcro was pretty new, you know. Oh, sure. And and wow. uh, the notion of these padded things that you could wrap around a can and Velcro around it to keep your beverage cold. Mm-hmm. And then there was another product that I sold that's a little bit rogue. They were called can wraps and they were vinyl covers and instead of saying Coca-Cola, it would say like Co cola so they wouldn't violate their their trademark, but it looked like a Coke can. So you could make a beer look like a Coke or like a Mountain Dew or Dr. Pepper. So if you know, if you wanted to be discreet while you're at the, the games and stuff. And so I i put mailers, I put a sample in, and I mailed them out to hundred liquor stores and I got myself a pretty good route going. And I somebody reached out to me, it was a distributor, and he said well, he didn't he, he thought I was a competitor, and then he figured out I was like <laughs> You're 17 years old, <laughs> but I was always doing something. I had my very, very first job when I was 13 years old. I wow. took a bus to downtown St. Paul, and I uh, was a phone solicitor for donations for a charitable organization. Ah, okay. Was that volunteer work, or or was that payman? Payman, payman. I wanted. I I I was fortunate in that um, my father, having been a doctor, he left our family off well enough that all of our needs were well met. My college right. was paid for and all of those types of things. But early on, I liked the idea of having my own money. Yeah. I liked having my own money. Right. Sure. Sure. It's quite satisfactory. What,
0: what kind of things did you spend your money on? What, what, you know, since it sounds like school was taken care of, uh, what were some of your, your hobbies and things that you enjoyed spending that, spending money on? Girls. <laughs> I appreciate your honesty, David, going out on dates, I presume, or gifts for them, <laughs> if you don't mind me asking.
1: Yeah, girl, get, and then, uh, of course, the ubiquitous uh, car, you know, everybody yeah, when course. they're 16, that back so in the day. Uh, yeah.
0: So it sounds like it was kind of a foregone conclusion that you're going to go to college. Dad took care of that. For, for all five kids, Or obviously, um, I know there were some...
1: We all went to college. It was, it's, I, you know, I, I was fortunate and that it was just, it was expected that you would go to college. Well, certainly dad is a doctor. Did mom have a degree as well, a college degree? My parents met in World War II. My mom was a nurse. My dad was a doctor. That's how they ended up crossing paths. That's
0: happened a few times before.
1: (laughs) I'm actually, I'm actually um, half Cherokee Indian. My mom was born on on the, yeah, my mom was born on the Oklahoma reservation. She ran Ah, away. Cool. Wow. Wow. Awesome. Awesome. So how did you pick the college that you decided
0: to go to and in the major that you studied in?
1: When I, I got recruited by a a school called McAllister college, which is a great college, uh-huh. typically a top yeah. 100 by the rankings. And it's in St. Paul because they are yeah. they're very active in debate. And my mom almost had a heart attack because she thought, you know, if the good old university <laughs> of Minnesota is good enough for, you know, our dad and, and the others in the family, what would it be for me? So did all the other kids go there or, or in yeah, close proximity thereof? With the exception of my sister who went to the convent and then yeah, and, right, and, and right. she took a different route. But, so I was the first one who uh, broke out of that mold and, um, and I and it, it's a very difficult college to get into. And how I guess either naive or confident, I only applied to one college. Right. And uh, so I'm lucky I got in, I guess. And so uh, what did you end up studying and, and what was the motivation behind that? I got into my cry. I was going to go to medical school. And so right. I was a chemistry and biology major when I started. And um, right. about two months in, um, when you go into college debate, you travel a lot. And, and sure. that was back in the day where you'd... You, you, if you were lucky enough to fly instead of drive for 20 hours, you might have a swing at, say, Harvard and Dartmouth. So you'd fly out one, for one weekend tournament at, say, Dartmouth, and you'd stay out there the whole week and research in the wow. library and things, and then do the Harvard tournament, and then you'd come back. And wow. at, at one point, my, my uh, chemistry professor suggested I seriously reconsider my major because he can't make up labs. And if you're going to be gone every other week, you ain't going to do so well here. And so I I became a- And you hadn't even hit organic chemistry yet, right? Which is the the filter for so many. So I became a speech communications major. Ah, cool. That fit in really well because then all of my professors were the same people that were running the debate team. And so you kind of had that where they understood why you weren't there. Got the relationship with them. Yeah,
0: that's awesome. What was the first job you took out of college, David?
1: I've been doing. It's kind of crazy. I feel like I, um, I was born to do what I do now. The uh, I wanted to be pretty a pretty much st- employee benefits your whole life, right? Exactly. I wanted to be a stock broker. So I, yeah. I, yep, yeah. and, I, and I and I looked at jobs and I went and I applied for a place that had the name Continental Brokerage. And in the day, I thought all brokerages were stock brokerages. I didn't know there were food brokers and insurance <laughs> brokers. Insurance and brokers, right? And yeah. so I, I show up and it's it was an insurance, uh, kind of an insurance brokerage, and um. I got hired there and it was my first job. And and what I did then is so similar to what our uh, salespeople on the core team do now, is that I called oh. insurance brokers, I was working for John Alden, the insurance company, and yeah. we were selling um, talking brokers into using John Alden as a solution for their clients with employee, mm. employer groups between two and 15 employees. So small group medical insurance. Yeah. Yeah. And th- that's what Ease is all about, small group employee yeah. benefits uh, yeah. distribution through brokers. I never really strayed from that.
0: And uh, do you remember the time, first time you started managing people? Was it there at that first job?
1: Um, I was actually not a manager at that job, but my first experience in management came when I was still a young person. I was, uh, As I went through those routes with those different jobs we were talking about earlier, um, I managed a phone solicitation room when I was 16 years old. So oh, I was hiring man. and terminating oh. and training employees when I was 16. Uh, Every day after high school, I'd drive in 3 o'clock, 3 o'clock to 9 o'clock, and the team would set appointments for people that sold uh, home food programs back in the day where you'd get your food delivered to your house in a big freezer, you know? Huh, cool. Cool. and so probably uh hourly
0: workers I'm sure many of them that were older than you what were some of the challenges you had in, in managing that
1: team well that was the first one I mean it's it is yeah. when you when you're 16 and you get thrown into a management position and the reason I got thrown into it is I, I it's it's the classic thing I try to avoid now which is right. your best salesperson isn't necessarily your best manager you know and, and and I, I was the best lead setter and they didn't know I was 16 I was at a different office and they called me up and that's when they discovered that I was probably the youngest employee
0: that they had. Having the deep voice and all that speech training probably helped, right?
1: You know, it's, I don't think it's, I think it's work ethic when it comes to these things. Yeah. It, it really is. Because I would watch that around me where people would like look for ways to pass the time. Really? And and I, 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 I was competitive. I still am competitive. And I like the fact that I could set more appointments than anybody else every single day what were
0: some of the other lessons you learned in in those early management years
1: i um, separating the personal and the business side in in relationships um i think that you underestimate when you're in, in a uh, managerial role um the impact that you have on people around you um and that that can have some negative repercussions um so cuz cuz there always comes a day where you know you 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 may i don't i hate to use the word you, disciplinary action. That's not the right way to describe it, but it's its difficult to um, give negative criticism to somebody that you've developed a personal relationship with, I think.
0: The more you can keep those relationships separate, the easier it is, particularly when it comes to terminating someone, right? And uh, that's always tough the first time. Do you remember that the first time you had to fire somebody?
1: I do. And I, even to this day, when I've had to let people go, I, I it's... I believe that you deliver bad news personally and as quickly yeah. as possible. That's my philosophy. Mm-hmm. and um, But I don't think you've got a soul if it doesn't bother you to terminate somebody. Yeah. It's yeah. The wor- it's, yeah. I, I tell people this. It's the worst part of the job. It is the it is. absolute yeah. worst part of the job. But you
0: don't do anyone any favors by stringing it out. And uh, least of all the person. I, I remember I sweated bullets. I still think about it the first time I hired someone. And it was with Disney and I was in Singapore. Long involved story. But, you know, I remember everyone coming up to goes, "Brand, what took you so long? <laughs> She's a great person, but, you know, she just wasn't contributing. And, you know, you think, gosh, why did I drag my feet on that? Because you're really not doing anybody a favor.
1: You learn that with experience. You know, it, 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 it's over time you realize that, like... I find it today. It's as as the company's grown. So I've I've gone from you know five years ago, world headquarters was ease was in my my living room, and and, and we had <laughs> right. there were three right. of us. Now yeah. we have a couple hundred employees. Yeah. Um, but things do change as the organization grows. As far as what you can do, like when you talk about um, letting people go. When you're a small business, as soon as you get the instinct that this person's not going to work out it can be literally, you you might let them go right on the spot, not in a negative or mean way, but you just can let them go. You're an Uh at-will employer. Uh But as you grow your brand and your company, even if you still have that same ability, there's just risks that are associated with it. And so, you know, in this journey, one of the things that I started to put a lot more stock into, um, among other things, is the hiring process. Mm -hmm. Because Doing a better job at getting it right gets rid of a lot of what we were just talking about. Right. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Do it on the front end. Don't
0: wait till the back end. I have to remember, though, that this employee was someone that my boss made me hire, but that's another story entirely. <laughs> well, we, I want to get to your, your CEO journey and, of course, founding of EASE, but before we do so, just one, one last question and kind of the, the, the times that you worked with others. You know, you'd mentioned two great stories, you know, one about the, the, the 10th grade teacher that was embarrassing to you, and, you know, that was obviously not a very good mood on his part, what it led to your behavior, but also, you know, others that have had a positive impact on you, the, this, the debate coach in particular. Yeah, Give me an example, uh, David, of, of, you know, a best and a worst lesson from previous bosses. No names need to be mentioned, but, you know, something that you can say you experienced during those years when you worked for others where you said, gosh, this is just a really good thing that I learned. I've never let it go. Or, and, or, you know, here was a behavior that I saw that I said, I would never do that to someone
1: else. Well, I'll start with the end. I've, I, my, one of my early jobs, um, the. I think in today's work environment, they might consider it like abuse. The way they would talk to us, and you know, all like, don't let the door hit you on the way out if you don't like it. You know, and and they would use so much foul language. They bring us into the conference. I mean, you know, we're salespeople. Granted, if you've seen Glen Gary, Glenn Ross, and things like that, just imagine that on steroids. Right. And uh, my first exposure, yeah, my first exposure to it was, um, you know. Oh, we're going to have a meeting. Everybody in the conference room, the two bosses there, and they're saying, "Hey, how's it going? What'd you guys do over that?" And you know, everyone's having small talk. Okay, close the door. They close the door, and all of a sudden, starts just like a light switch. And um, I was kind of in shock. But um, and and I, I can remember that day like like this morning. It, it's it's right. that it made that it's much hot. of a mistake. yeah. So I I I kind of out. I just would never um, support. Uh, tolerate, participate in in any culture that even resembled that. Best lesson, best mentor, best boss. I had you know that the, 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 one of my earlier jobs with, again it was with a large insurance company. I had uh, uh, my boss. He he kind of like adopted me. Now was this Lincoln National or Unison? Wh- which correct Lincoln National, and 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 he did such a fantastic job in mentoring me in the technical aspects of the business that to this day have, not only have they served me well, but I believe that they had a huge contribution to me being able to differentiate myself when I ultimately became a broker because of the technical skills that he taught me. But uh-huh. it was more in the way that he was, he, it, 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 it's like when I, like, like with my granddaughter, my my greatest gift to her is my time, you know, mm. at least I hope, And this and this individual spent a significant amount of time with me in a, in a, in a very productive and educative way. And, and what would you say if you had to kind of draw one
0: lesson from that, that really kind of, you know, you took away and had a, had a meaningful impact? Was there, you know, some specific thing that he or she did that you felt was, you know, significant that you've used, you know, as you move forward in your career?
1: Well, it's the concept of teaching somebody how to farm, you know, um, versus giving them food, you right. Know? Right. he, right. he, yeah. he, he taught me, you know, he, 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 he helped me improve my problem solving skills.
0: Hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. That's so important, isn't it? Particularly as you begin to think about how to approach bigger problems as you grow in your career. So, so let's talk a little bit about that. You've been at Ease for about four years, and, and I want to get that to a moment. But you know, you had a good long career, spending, gosh, what was it, fourteen years? I think at Unison, a couple of years at Lincoln. Did, did you think someday that you would found your own company and, and become, you know, CEO of it, or, or you know, something? Was it something that just kind of, you know, evolved over time and ideas began to develop about uh, founding your current uh, endeavor?
1: I bought the eight hundred number four four six Ease in two thousand oh. in two thousand and five. So that's how long I've been. And the companies that preceded this were enrollees, e central. Everything has been about ease. So my Mm -hmm. license plate is ease. I kind (laughs) of Mister Ease. So this concept has been. um, When I said earlier, I think I was born to do this. This is all I've ever done, and everything has been an extension and and evolution of this. Um, As far as being a CEO, no, I um I was always a small business and and I like the fact that I didn't work for somebody. But I will tell people this. If you take the path that I did, you go from being the guy that doesn't answer to anybody to the guy that answers to a lot of people. Um because it's very different once you've been venture funded and your company starts to grow and you have a lot of financial interests in the company. Um the 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 it changes. But with that said, I consider myself to be a purpose-driven founder. And I didn't really know what that meant when I first came to Silicon Valley, but it's very clear to me now. I didn't set out to be the CEO of a company. And a lot of people will come to Silicon Valley to find a co-founder with an idea because they want to be the CEO of a company and find a CTO and get product market fit and go, go, go. I ended up here by default. And I don't think it's a I think it's suited the company, served the company really, really well. I think I do a good job in my role. I do. Um, but I'm not selling the company. I'm more or less uh, evangelizing. Um, it's so easy to talk about something that you really believe in. So true. And, and did you um, found it with
0: someone else? I mean, you, I think this has been your own venture, right? Or was there a partner, kind of an inside-outside
1: type of relationship at ease? used to be me, but when we decided to take the venture path, uh, my co-founder of Ease, Courtney Girton, uh, he and I basically threw our hats in the ring together and and came up to Silicon Valley on February 5th of 2015 Mm. and made our first venture pitch, the two of us. And then uh, it was 23 days later. We uh, raised two point one million dollars and opened the San wow. Francisco office. So, start to finish, it was a twenty-three day deal. Somebody told me it, it only took you, you know, twenty years to be an overnight success. I've been doing the same <laughs> thing all the time. I love it. Was it hard
0: to get funding? Did you do quite a few presentations? It sounds like twenty-three days is a pretty short uh, gestation period for 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 getting funded.
1: We've been fortunate. We've we've had our seed round, our seed follow-on, our A and our B round. And um, to date, we've raised uh, about $30 million uh, mm-hmm. over the last uh, not quite five years. And um, I'm not going to say it was easy, but we were never struggling. We were always able to uh, meet and secure investors with common values and vision to us uh, inside of 30 days. That's fantastic. So about 200
0: employees now. Tell us a little bit about Ease, what you do, and in what markets you serve.
1: All right. Well, Ease is a benefits administration platform that provides services as well as an all-in-one platform for human resources, HRS, and, and payroll. And what makes us unique is our go-to-market, or our distribution channel. It's insurance brokers that work with small businesses. You work exclusively with insurance brokers. Correct. And uh, insurance brokers that work with small businesses for the most part. So that could be the largest insurance brokers in America who have lots of small businesses, or it could be what I call a kitchen table broker that's in some who knows where that has uh, enough small businesses to keep their small business afloat. Um, But they all have the same common need is that you're dealing with entrepreneurs whose primary focus isn't their employee benefit plan, but it's complex and expensive, and it's something that they have to manage and and deal with. In in today's environment, employees expect to have quality benefit plans. And um, our software program makes it really easy. You guys cash flow positive or still working towards that goal? Well, we could be. You know, when you're in the venture side, we we have the ability to dial the profitability on demand anytime we want to. But when you're growing at the rate we're growing... um, You want to make a significant investment in the R&D side. In fact, one way optically I would describe it to people is if if you separate our R&D, all of the development and the growth and those types of investments, we'd be wildly profitable. Our margins, as they'd refer to it in the investment world, are, are significant.
0: David, recently I heard it said that it can be uncomfortable as a CEO having your answers questioned rather than your questions answered. Have you been in that situation? If so, how do you handle
1: that? I don't know how you couldn't be. Once I call that welcome to the boardroom.
0: <laughs> Particularly with outside investors, right?
1: <laughs> Where even the things that you're confident in get questioned significantly. Um, I don't have a problem with that. I believe that ideas are best tested when challenged. Um, and one of the other things I believe strongly in is hiring really good people. I have mm-hmm. no problem hiring people that are better at things than I am. I prefer it. So there's many times as we grow, if you want to go into, you know, our chief revenue officer our chief operations officer, our VP of finance, our chief technology officer, I used to have every one of those jobs. Right. Well, now I couldn't light a candle to what they can do in those respective areas. Right. And, you know, it, and it's, and I, I think to myself, It's kind of weird because when we first got venture funded, um, I did everything that these people do now. Now they do it all. It's not that I don't have things to do, but there's a variety of things I've learned in this journey. And and one of them is that, you know, the most important thing, and this is why I like being a purpose-driven CEO, I couldn't identify being any other type is, is we're the ultimate Mm -hmm. salesperson for the company. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And that's whether we're talking to investors to raise capital or whether that's to the marketplace that we
0: serve, David. You mentioned earlier the importance of hiring people, and you know, you know, I'm in that business, so I can't agree with you more. And it's it's uh, it's really quite frightening sometimes how so many companies give lip service to the importance of it, and yet, you know, if they need a body, just give me a warm body in, and then you know, th- three six months later, the kind of damage that's been done. What what do you look for when you're making bets on the people you invest in and in hire at
1: ease? Loyalty and problem solving skills. And when I say loyalty, I don't mean loyalty to David Reed. We're a team here. Okay. We're a company and this company can only be as good as the ability of the team to work together cohesively. And when I speak, when I say loyalty, I don't mean that in a crazy way. I mean, it's that they believe in what we are doing as an organization, the marketplace that we serve. um, And they believe in the operating principles of the company, our values, our missions, and and things such as that. And then the second thing I look for is problem solving skills, because I think everything else can be learned and taught. How do you get
0: at that in a, 35, 45 minute interview. Do you ask specific questions? Do you like to probe in certain areas to get to the meat of that?
1: I probably have the strangest interviews ever because, um, <laughs> I, I don't do much of that at all. Uh-huh. Um, everybody, most, if it's a position now in the company, that's not a significant position. I'm not even involved with the yeah. hiring process. If it's yeah. a significant Direct position. courts reports or maybe one level down, I imagine. Right. There's multiple people involved with the big hiring decisions, but, right. um, I'm an instinct person. And Mm, one mm. of the things I am proud of is that I have never had a direct report quit or resign on me, ever. Not just at ease, but in previous companies. My entire career. In fact, there's people who work for our company today or in my prior companies that I hired 25 years ago that are still there. Um, And so I also know that as we grow, instinct by itself is not gonna serve me well, which is why I rely heavily on um my executive team to help right. do a better job in vetting but I you know like we're, we're 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 seeking out a key position right now um in um HR to fill <laughs> high level <laughs> position and I recently had a, a, an interview with a person that I really really liked and and my Response to that is after this individual interviews with other people on the team, if they feel equally favorable, then I'd like to have a second interview. And mm-hmm. and given the nature of the position, I'd like to put more thought into questions and doing a little bit more background and 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 uh, have a deeper well, conversation with her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially mm-hmm. when it comes into the a- area of HR, I think it's a unique it's position awesome. to fill. Yeah. How would you say your leadership styles evolved over time, David? More open minded to ideas that I used to quickly dismiss. Mm. Give me an example of a recent one. On my arrival in San Francisco, um, we were going to create, I thought we needed customer support and people say, no, we, it's customer success. And I'm thinking customer success. What, you know, is this just another buzzword in San Francisco <laughs> for things? Um, and equally similar to that is the concept of objectives and key results, OKRs. Um, I, 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 These are new concepts that I used to think of just being kind of like California, Silicon Valley, buzzword things that people just say, this is what what we do. But um, I understand the wisdom behind these now. At least I understand the wisdom Mm -hmm. behind these better and incorporating that into our our company strategy is, I think, essential in... um, what when when my businesses were small, I could see everybody, and I could know everybody. And so you can instinctually know when things are right or wrong all over the place. Right. Um, but as the company grows, um, it's really important that everybody in the company feels that their contribution that they're making is important and valuable to the company. It's just, I, yeah. I think that's a human characteristic if you want somebody to be have job satisfaction, they have right. to feel that way. And the other thing that I think is important that gets lost when companies grow is it's not clear to people um, how it is what they do aligns with the overall company's objectives and missions. Right. Right. And that, that disconnect causes people to say, why are we doing this? (laughs) Right. Right question. (laughs) You love the people who bring that up. I actually ask, I, you know, one of the things I'm trying to um, encourage people to do is that at any point in time, if you feel that way, like these are my objectives and key results, I understand how they align to the company's objectives and key results. So why am I doing what I'm doing right now? you know, right. it's that's, that's it. yeah. exactly. And, you know, you can take it to an extreme where the company's getting paralyzed with everybody, you know, questioning every decision that's made. Right. 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 But I always like to say, you know, we're all adults. Um, we, we work to live. We don't live to work. Some may live to work, but for the most part, this is really about um, building a great company. And part of being right. a great company is you have an environment where you're Providing lifestyles for people where they, they have to support their families and they have bills yeah. to pay and, and and things like that. And alignment is really important for that to work where um of course. where it's I like coming to the offices and we have offices in uh, Manhattan, San Francisco, Las Vegas, Omaha. We have remote workers, but I never come into an office with the feeling of um negativity. And, and I'm sure people have their moment to moment elements of it. But for the most part, I think people walk through the doors at every office that we have feeling safe and appreciated. Well, David, time's been flying by, but we do
0: have two last questions I want to ask of you. Um, you know, you're the founder and CEO of ease building a company culture is really part of the CEO job, but you know, you need, of course, uh, lots of people around you, but what would you say is most unusual or perhaps unique about the ease culture?
1: If you look at a company picture of our product, I, of our of our company, I don't think that you could find a more diverse workforce, mm-hmm. um, in all in all ways, in all ways. Um, and we're in this very traditional industry, this traditional, very traditional industry. Like when I look out at the marketplace we serve, and the dichotomy of the uh, employee population is I I think the level of diversity that we have in this company is um, it's a great thing and it wasn't in it wasn't done intentionally and one of the things that I think is great about that is it's a reflection of maybe who we are from a management perspective and that diversity becomes a natural process here you know Um, that's that that would be I think the biggest thing that I would point to.
0: Last question, we ask this of all our guests, uh, what, what career and life advice would you give to someone who perhaps has their eyes on their own corner office or or like you uh, may think at some point in time, they
1: want to be an entrepreneur and, and found their own company? If you're not passionate about what you're doing, find something else to do. <laughs> so true. It's, it's as simple as to see. See, I, I like what we do and I'm so engaged in, in this business and passionate about it that you know, you, if you have somebody who's really good and not passionate, somebody who's not so good and very passionate, and then somebody who's really good at it and passionate about it, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to know who's going to win this one. Um, and so that's what I think. It, I mean, it's not even the thing of life's too short, do something that you want to do. It's just from a practical advice standpoint that if if you don't like what you're doing, even if you think you're good at it, you're probably not very good at
0: it. <laughs> yeah, I remember when I, when I was on the operating side, I had a long career at, at Procter & Disney. I always used to say to the recruiters I'd hire, give me an ounce of you know passion for a pound of brains, right? I can teach them what this job is, but they've gotta be very passionate about what's going on. Well, David Reed, founder and CEO of Ease, thank you so very much for sharing your journey into the corner office. Thank you for having me, appreciate the day.